0: Sales are a wonderful thing because they're a barometer. I could see the sales growing even very slightly every day, every week, and that was my hope. I knew that if I could grow the sales to a, a particular level that I'd be able to succeed. So I was always obsessed with sales.
1: Welcome to the Sales Expert Podcast where we explore the world of sales from the perspective of industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Ashwin Brown. And I'm Darrell O'Connor, and this podcast expert is Bobby Kerr, Irish businessman, entrepreneur, and media personality.
0: How are you, Bobby? Hey, Bobby. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. Could you tell us a
1: bit about your background and how you got started in business?
0: Um, I grew up. My father was in business. Uh, he had a hotel in Kilkenny, a four-star hotel called the New Park Hotel. It was in our family for nearly fifty years. Um, uh, so I, I was there was everything kind of revolved around business. He worked seven days a week. There was always, everything really, the business came first and everything else was after that. So I grew up not knowing anything different, really. I went to college in DIT Cal Brew Street. I graduated in business and catering. Um, and then I was uh, over at a rugby match just after I finished college um in uh scotland and i was in a bar as you would be in those days and i was uh, i worked always part time uh, through the hotel in kilkenny and indeed when i was at college in the peppermint gardens as a chef so i had some now i never qualified as a chef but i had some kitchen production experience so back to the bar in edinburgh and this guy i was talking to this guy and he said uh i'm the uh catering director for all the oil rigs up in the north sea and i said well i'm the best chef that you've never had and he says can you start tomorrow and i said i can and i ended up going up there for two and a half years working on the rigs as a chef and that's where it started after that then i was transferred by the same company to their operation in america and canada Uh, and i spent nearly four years out there um working in in places like croke park in uh, stadiums but we did used to do the bars and the catering and i learned an awful lot there was given an awful lot of responsibility as a young man then i came back i worked with campbell catering in ucc uh, as the catering manager then i took over the southern uh, area uh, for campbell catering for about four or five years Then I got promoted to uh, Managing Director of Bewley's, which I did for, again, five or six years. Um, And that's really where I cut my teeth and learned about things like coffee, uh, employing big numbers of people, property, all those kind of high street commercial things that I needed to know for later in my career. That's where I learned them. So, you know, every five years I did something different, even though I only, I only, ever worked for three companies in across my whole career
2: you made the big leap then uh bobby uh, to set out on your own i did. to set up your own, own own company what what drove you i suppose to to leave that safe existence of working with the big brands like beauties and saying okay i'm going to roll up these and i'm going to do it myself
0: but it's funny it's funny you asked that question because i i it wasn't really to go out and you know, make my fortune. I just felt that I'd done everything I could do in beauties in terms of my own personal satisfaction, and um, that was that was one element of it. So bear in mind now, I was thirty year thirty eight years of age. So you know, I had a, pretty, a decent enough career uh, behind me at that stage. My fourth daughter had just been born, so I did, as you say, uh, the maybe slightly irrational thing of remortgaging the house. Uh, selling the few shares I had in beauties, which wasn't a lot and making that big leap out on my own uh, to set up Perk and Grafton Street in 1998. And, you know, it's funny, you come from a bigger organization, you know, with 800 staff that you're running. And when you go out on your own and it's just you, you almost realize how little you know, um, you know, there was always an accountant to deal with the banks. There was always you know, somebody in marketing to deal with the advertising. So, you know, I I, I couldn't believe how little I actually knew, even though I had a a fairly solid career behind me. Um, So I opened my first shop. And again, with everything I had went into that, it was, it looked like it was gonna be a disaster. Uh, I took uh, 12 euros, uh, 40 in sales the first day, 12 pounds as it was then because it was before the euro and i thought i've made the biggest mistake of my life here and i i said i wasn't going to go down without a fight and i worked like a dog in that one shop morning noon and night i used to know every single customer that came in their first name what they liked what they didn't like and then i saw and this is what we're talking today about sales and sales are a wonderful thing because they're a barometer I could see the sales growing even very slightly every day, every week. And that was my hope. Uh, and I could, I knew that if I could grow the sales to a, a particular level that I'd be able to succeed. So I was always obsessed with sales and the detail around sales, hourly sales, weekly sales, and having them as soon as possible. I used to have all sorts of systems around knowing what the sales were because sales can tell you an awful lot about a business that all you know that that, that, that you know that you can see what's selling what's not selling all, almost what's working and what's not working so I've always had a very very strong antenna to sales and I when I when I worked in Beauley's there was an accountant who worked with me there a fellow called Ian Conlon. and he says if you go if I go around to the manager's, uh one more time and somebody gives me a gross figure instead of a net figure they're going to be fired so i always came from the school that you know whatever you do take the vat off never include the vat in your sales and that's been with me all the way along so so yeah so then i opened a second shop and a third shop probably too quickly i didn't have i was totally undercapitalized and i nearly went bust a couple of times i came very close and what drove you then i knew that the only way of surviving was to grow if if that makes sense that i was never going to make enough money in that one shop to even pay myself so the only route that i thought to prosperity was growth um and growth within that same first shop and growth by adding addition, additional shops to the portfolio. So I grew as fast as I could with the, with the resources that I had and I grew it to six shops. I got uh, two more shops up in UCD, which were pretty much a game changer for me because I hit the ground running with both those shops, massive turnover, and they brought me over the, the red line into profitability once I added those two shops and and then I had a kind of I had so I was there with my six shops and I was I had a kind of an epiphany in that you know I had a route I had it all under control I was making some very small money but I reckoned that I ha- I was in control and this was a solid business but I also reckoned that I was never going to grow it if I continued doing everything myself I was the the accountant, I was the marketeer, I was the operations manager. I did the whole lot and I, so I decided that if I I wanted to grow it, I had to either consolidate or merge or buy another business, but but I needed to get beyond five shops and put in a decent management structure. And that was when I met um, Harry O'Kelly, who was originally from uh, Bendini and Shaw. He was a competitor of mine and he had been bought out by the lads in insomnia so it was insomnia and bendini and shaw and they actually bought my business uh, which gave us 17 shops and harry said to me i don't want to be the md uh, uh, i can't stand all this board crap and all this stuff would you be the md so i was meant to have been so it was literally like that i got paid my money i had it for a week I took everything that i got from the sale of my business and I, I reinvested it in this new new venture which was me harry and then later john classy uh, of of uh of spar so the three of us then effectively uh were the were the owners of this new conglomerate and we renamed all the shops insomnia at that point and then off we went with our 17 shops you know and, and uh, again it's grown quite substantially since those days
2: and how did you change the sales cycle going from your own few shops that you had then suddenly now you've you've mushroomed in effect so how did sales grow with that
0: well one of the things we did was we put in structures uh basically uh for the branch managers to allow them manage their own shops and one of the things we did was we made sure that all they had to do we like so we centralized all the food production, uh, all the fridges used to be merchandised through the night. Uh, so when a manager came into his or her shop on a particular day, all they really had to do was worry about the service and the sales uh, and how to make good coffee. So we simplified the on the ground operation so that the managers could focus uh, on driving their own shop and again they were all incentivized around sales um, again not massively but there was always if they met their targets there was a bonus for them and we developed it that way and then as as it grew further you know one the best managers became area managers and they would have they would have managed say 10 shops um and then we would have brought in additional resources in in head office marketing purchasing accounts so the business became more strategic, more formalized, and, you know, more solid as the years went on.
1: The aerial managers, when they were reporting back to you, what kind of metrics were you uh, looking for off them? And what kind of metrics were they looking off from their staff?
0: Well, we were always very sales focused. So my first question to any area manager would have been, what are the sales? And then, you know, you kind of go from there. The sales are, are are strong, okay, why are they strong? What are people buying? The sales are underperforming, what's wrong? What's not selling? What hour are the sales? What are we doing between 8 and 9? How come we're doing less uh, at lunchtime than, you know, a, a, a sister shop of the same size? So that's what I I go back to the point that you know if you query sales performance you can find out an awful lot about the business. And how quick
1: would you have been with so many outlets to make the necessary changes if, if something wasn't doing well?
0: Well, that was another thing that I got good at over the years. Um, every Monday morning I had a full profit and loss for every shop, uh, right across the country. So on Monday morning, I could tell you how much we made in Blanchardstown and how much we lost in Cork. Uh, on a shop by shop basis, so and and that's why we, we we developed a system again, not hugely sophisticated, that allowed to, us to do that, which meant we could move very quickly if there was a problem. And during
1: uh, crisis times, for example, the downturn, how did you cope when when the economy was changing, when people were spending less?
0: Well, we nearly went bust, uh, which which we had a very close call around two thousand and ten. Where, you know, the, the the economy basically had imploded and we we were right in the eye of the storm. We we were over borrowed, we were in high street locations right across the country, and we were paying top dollar rents, and a huge amount of our customers either left the country or couldn't afford to come to us in the in the manner in which they used to come to us. So what we did, the first one thing that we did that I I remember to this day, was we basically, we decided that we were gonna try and keep the the numbers coming across the door. And we came up with these packages that any sandwich, any coffee was a fiver, and any muffin, any coffee was three euros. Now this is a long time ago. Uh, So that may not sound like a lot now, but that, that represented, a 28% discount if you bought two things. And believe it or not, that worked. That metric of using a fiver when somebody wouldn't knew how much they could spend on their lunch every day. They knew they could come into us with a fiver and they'd get a coffee and a sandwich or whatever it was. And after about two months, 60% of the sales were in all were, were either were in those categories. So now, it caused us other problems in that we'd reduced our average spend. We then had to go and find out how are we going to improve our margin? So it forced us into a place of making the business much more efficient. We had to close down, a. we were making all our own sandwiches in a production facility up in rap mines. We took vans off the road. We really had to cut costs, which we did. And that was how we survived. They were not, I'm not saying that was everything, but that was, we really, really retracted our horns and we <clears throat> we micromanaged all costs and we offered value, real value to our customers. And I believe that was what saved us.
2: And by reducing your average spend, did that increase the, the volume of football through the door?
0: Yes. Well, well, actually what it did was it maintained the current levels. So the same number of people came o- over the door. And because we, we couldn't have afforded to that it dropped. So it, 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 it and it, and it maybe in in truth it increased it slightly, but we were we were heading for probably a thirty percent drop in football, which we averted.
1: And from the sale of coffee to the sale of the franchise, could you tell us a bit about that, Bobby? And your move and your move into other industries, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Well, well, a couple of things. One of the things that I learned from my Bewley's days was, and it was a hard lesson, was. We, we, we had a franchise, a franchising operation across Ireland that effectively didn't work and that we had to close, that ended up being closed down. And I learned an awful lot, um, you know, the hard way around people, the selection of people and the selection of locations, both of which I would have suggested in those days we got wrong. so. My learnings then around franchising were fairly painful in my previous life. So I was determined to come up with a model that was really, really simple and that we could control. So we did a deal with spar, which was one deal, only one agreement with one entity. So it was a deal with BWG foods within it, uh, We structured the franchise to only down to about 10 products which we could monitor and control. So uh, no money changed hands. So we would have been rebated then. The model was you become an insomnia franchisee in a spa shop, say, you, <clears throat> you fit it out to our specification, you buy all these products, these, these, it's only about 10 products, which is the beauty of it. And they're predominantly coffee related and we, our margin was built into the case of the coffee. So it meant that there was no potential for a bad debt, which was another, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a it was a significant, uh, it was a really, really significant uh, factor in the success of that model. And because <clears throat> we were opening shops on the high street, we became very relevant to a spa franchise. In other words, they wanted this because they knew it was gonna, drive people into the store so we we, we monitored the cups the the, the 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 case cup sales the case coffee sales and we could see straight away uh, by re- the relationship between the cups and the coffee if somebody was putting other coffee through our machines because so it was it was simple but it was scientific and we ran it with a rod of iron if somebody messed us about you know, we we, we we weren't long in telling them, and they knew that they couldn't mess with us. Uh, so it was very, very, and, and we were in the lovely position that, you know, they wanted us, uh, not that we didn't want them, but they, they it was definitely, they could see the value of what we could bring. <clears throat> so that was one arm of the business. The other arm we developed was uh, operating uh concession agreements so with pennies with easons meadows and burn where we took space in their shops and we ideally we had our own front door which is what we kind of which is what we all always tried to aspire to and would the sales then would we, we we would pay a percentage of our sales um maybe some in some cases a fixed rent in some cases A fixed rent with a with a a sales turnover based rent as well and you know those working in those companies they had much deeper pockets than us allowed us to be in places that we would ordinarily never have got into so that was a separate sort of strategy so we had our own cafes we had the spa business which was both barista driven sale coffee sales and we also had the bean to cup, which is fully automated machines, which was like the 600 units of those Inspires and Maces today. Like they, they, that, that's been a very, very successful model. And then we had our own cafe. So we sort of four income streams. And again, I learned that over the years as well, that you'd need that because when one is going well, you, another one mightn't be. And I wouldn't recommend any business to have more than one sales channel, have some other channel of sales that is just, it's different for, for the sake of being different because you don't want all your eggs in one basket from a sales perspective. Bobby, was that
2: always your goal when you started off with that one coffee shop to have, was your vision to, to go to the level that you ended up going? Um... No,
0: my vision, and I, I still have the, the first business plans that I did, my vision was for 25 shops. Uh, that was the, the limit of my vision. Uh, now I expanded my horizons as we grew, but the first, uh, business plan that I did saw us grown to 25 shops in, I think it was six or seven years. Um, so yeah, but you know what? I, I think it's regardless of, I think you always need a plan and I I'm a great believer in, in having a plan, but it doesn't have to be. My first business plan was, I think, four pages long. Um, and again, I had one that I could, as things got better, I changed it. I modified it, but I always worked to a plan.
1: And then when you sold the business, were you necessarily at that moment or before
0: that moment going to sell? I suppose I was in that I always saw it as a kind of a 20 year play. Um, I also, like I'd, I sold the family business in 2007 um so i didn't have any further ties in that so then i then i found as well that my my career by fact of the profile that i'd built up uh, publicly was bringing me in other directions um so i i i i i made a conscious decision decision that i wanted to sell yeah and it it's funny you know it's funny how things happen because we went uh to the market uh and we appointed advisors you know to to uh, develop a prospectus to sell the business and once we had done that one of my other uh uh, shareholders and owners decided that he'd like to keep going and he said well sure now that we have a value on it, uh i'll buy you out and i said well that's fine and we were we were all happy um and you know that meant a lot to me as well that I could leave the business on a high note. I could leave it to people that I, that I loved and trusted and that they, you know, there was a further opportunity there that I'm now no longer part of, but I, I still work with them occasionally. And I still have a great relationship with the people in Insomnia. that was as important to me as whatever I got financially out of it. And
2: to our listeners, Bobby, you're also um, a renowned dragon from the series Dragon's Den could you give us a, a little bit of insight into that and some of the people and businesses that you met along the way that you knew they mightn't have had the five key ingredients but they certainly had three or four and you said i'm going to put back these people
0: yeah well we, we have to when when i talk about Den again it was a, it was another time it was a different era it's like it's it's 12 13 years ago now uh, so you know and i i love i was fortunate enough in that any of the investments i made were, were were money that i had uh like i didn't borrow any money or do anything like that you know to invest in business i made nine investments over the series and you know what you know it, it took me a while to realize this but it was fundamentally a, t- a tv show first and an investment platform second and and that you know whether you agree or disagree with that that's just life that's just the way it is and I made nine investments and uh most of them didn't work out uh for one reason or another I got my money back on a few of them I didn't make uh fortunes on any of them but I didn't fall out with any of the nine individuals which I again I met one of them Tim Tim Rooney there from surf seeds only last week down in the harbor in dunleary and i was chatting to him about i hadn't seen him in a long time but he was one of the guys that that i made an investment and his business ultimately ended up failing but i was able to go for a walk on the pier with him and just chat with him and so you know i i invested i when somebody came into the den you'd never met them in your life before my thing was you know can i work with this guy that was my regardless of what the business was. So do I like him or her? Do I see potential in him or her? And then, okay, is this a good idea or a bad idea? So, and I also have to, you know, if you look, if you stand back from and you look at what it did for me, like nobody knew about insomnia before I went on Dragon's Den. All of a sudden, it became a national brand, and, and we drove it as a national brand through me and through that TV series. It also ended up with me working on the radio, which I've done for 12 odd years, uh, public speaking stuff that I've done. So it brought me into a whole other place. And, you know, there was massive value, uh, I suppose intangible value around that again for which i'm very grateful
1: and you're also involved bobby in some other projects around the cliffs of Moher and, and lighthouses would you be able to tell us about that
0: yeah i would and there, there are two projects that i'm really really fond of I'm, I'm the chairman of the the operating board of the cliffs of Moor, the company that runs uh the visitor center and and all, all all that goes with that um and it's really really exciting it's a fantastic fantastic a uh, world-renowned product and we're going to be developing it and enhancing it and making it even better to make it probably we believe uh, it's already up there with one of the best tourist uh, sites in the world but we believe we can we can enhance it even further to make it the number one uh, destination in Europe uh, around visitors and in a, in a way that's actually sustainable that we don't damage the environment and we don't damage the, the I suppose the, the the local enterprise that they all get something out of it as well. Um, so that's a very exciting project. I'm also involved in the Great Lighthouses of Ireland, which is uh, basically it's a, a it's a company within uh, Irish Lights. Uh, we've 18 or 20 lighthouses now uh, around the country, and they're all we're, we're basically the marketing arm where there's accommodation on some, there's lighthouse tours on others, there's cafes in some of them, but basically we were, we're the collective marketing arm of these lighthouses, which again uh, are, are a huge tourist asset. So they're just two projects that I, I'm I, I'm involved in. Um, they don't pay me a whole lot, but uh, I, I, I'm there for the love of what the, the end game is there. Yeah, I, I, I i i and I, do you know what i love working i really love working with good people and good products and you know both those boxes are ticked uh, there when I talk about those both those projects that like i, I at this stage <clears throat> I'm 63 this year uh, I've had a really good career and I now only want to work uh with people that I like and products that I like that's and I don't mean to sound arrogant saying that but that's i'm fortunate enough that I've, I've been able to carve out that for me so i love what i do and i'm busy every day um i'm still in, i've a few investments around the place as well um both here and in the states that keep me interested as well so i'm I'm not retired even though i keep telling people i am but for, for a guy who's retired i seem to be very busy
2: and you also have a side next as well um on news talk radio um the down to business show can you tell our listeners a bit about that
0: yeah well it's a business show um it's been on the go for a long number of years now i've been presenting it for the last 13 years um we've 120 odd thousand listeners don't do stocks don't do shares don't do debt equity ratios it's about real people real business and we do try and get under the bonnet particularly of smaller business I try every week to get out to a business and um, we do some corporate stuff as well in the executive chair and that kind of thing. But you know, it's funny that an awful lot of our listeners listeners aren't business people, which I think is interesting that because we try and look at it from almost from a human perspective. Uh, and you know, it's, 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 it, for me, like I love the work that I actually do there, but I also love the fact that it keeps me close to business. I don't need to employ five hundred people anymore, um, which I I don't, and I I don't want to. But I, every week, I I go in there, I meet somebody or some business that I'm excited about, and that keeps me. It keeps. It definitely keeps that business piece of me satisfied, even though it's a strange way of doing it. But um, it really, really is remarkable who you meet and who you talk to if you're doing a business show every saturday
1: you keep you keep your finger on the pulse so to speak yeah uh, you do and bobby if you could give one piece of advice to any young salesperson to help them up their game in sales what would it be
0: uh, speak less and listen more um, and again i think good sales people are people who can read what the customer wants and then shape their product towards that end. Uh, The people who come in selling something without any regard for who's in front of them will never succeed as salespeople. People who listen and people who can craft what they have to the consumer need are the people who will be successful.
2: Bobby, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this side of the microphone uh, today. So thank you once again for your time.
0: No problem, washi and thank you as well, Dara. Thank you, Bobby. and
1: Bobby, before we go, uh, I know you have a podcast yourself. Can you tell us the name of the podcast and where people can uh, listen to it?
0: Yeah, it's called Life and Leadership. And again, it's gone really, really well. Was, I was I, I haven't done a lot of podcasting, but I was really, really uh, pleased because they were really excited about the numbers of, uh, of listens and news talks. So I interviewed a whole lot of people. Uh, people from Pat McDonough, Amy Connolly, Pat Phelan, Bernard Brogan, all people who have succeeded in their business life. And and two of the difference, uh, two different things about the podcast was all the people that I interviewed, I said, I'll go to you. So pick a place of inspiration or a place that you feel comfortable being interviewed and We'll talk about life and we'll talk about leadership, and that's what we do. And it, it's, it's they're are a good listen. I'd I'd invite, I'd I'd, I'd uh, hope that your own listeners here might enjoy them.
1: Thanks for sharing your story. It's been an inspiration.
0: Thanks, Bobby. No problem, and good to talk to you, lads and good luck with all you do.
2: Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Sales Expert Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with our guests insightful and informative. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are motivated and inspired to hear more from top sales professionals, be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast. To keep up to date with our latest weekly episodes. Also, if you're new to this podcast, please have a listen back to the previous episode. If you'd like to contribute as a guest, please drop us an email to salesexpertpodcast at gmail.com. Our mission is to bring you valuable and insightful strategies from the best and brightest minds in the sales industry. so you can level up your sales game and achieve your goals. Thank you for listening and we'll join you next week on the Sales Expert Podcast.
1: I start recording again. I got